Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Hidden Noise. I'm Abby Sandler. And I'm Rebecca Siegel. And today, we have a very good episode lined up. First, we'll hit two solo exhibitions at the Whitney. Then we'll be joined by Emma Enderby, curator at The Shed, an eagerly anticipated new art institution to hit New York's cultural landscape in spring 2019. But before we head to The Shed, we're going to start a little further down on the West Side Highway. That's right. This week's go-sees are Zoe Leonard's Survey and Grant Wood, American Gothic and Other Fables. Both on view on the fifth floor of the Whitney Museum of American Art. And that's about where their commonalities end. Besides, I suppose, their American roots. <laughs> We're going to try not to get too caught up in the structural and theoretical questions at first. Instead, we're going to give you a sense of what's happening in these exhibitions. Which would, do you want to start with Abs? Let's start with Grant Wood, who you and the rest of the world know from his portrait of the Midwestern farming couple titled American Gothic. The painting was originally exhibited at the Art Institute of Chicago in 1930. You know the painting with the pitchfork and the unbelievably depressing man and woman who may or may not be a father and daughter or are actually a dentist. Anyway, the painting made him an overnight celebrity. But before that, he was a designer. There are pictures and glassware. He was actually hired to decorate dining rooms in a handful of hotels in Iowa. And this brings us to one of the most exciting parts of this truly bizarre show. Yeah, have you ever been to a period room at the Whitney? Yeah, we didn't think so. And there is the most fabulous corn on the cob chandelier that you cannot and must not miss. In case anyone is wondering, this was by far my highlight. <laughs> should not be surprised by that. Of course you shouldn't. But really, guys, take in the Americana. The rest of the exhibition explores Wood's Midwestern landscapes and, of course, his portraits. I honestly think Wood is a fascinating artist with much more of a sense of humor than people give him credit for. Or at least his works are interesting to consider because while at the forefront of a distinctly American art movement, he was taking all these super European modes of depiction and portraiture, but applying them to this 1920s, 1930s Midwestern America. So you just get these super eerie and weird portraits of farmers and housewives with indecipherable relationships to one another in front of all this vacant, desolate farmland. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of great and honestly hilarious. Okay, so you and I completely (laughs) disagree on this. I look at the painting American Golfer from 1940, and all I see is a stock photo taken yesterday at any one of Trump's golf courses. These are the images of our current president's America. It's the nostalgia for that time, and I found it depressing. A flyover state exhibition with period rooms at the Whitney Museum of Art is it's not my thing. But again, you have always been the optimist. Oh, no, no. I think you're completely correct. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I'm just making a case for the slightly underappreciated and very nuanced humor in his work. And I must say, and I think you'll actually agree with me on this point, this show sets up a very interesting dialogue when you experience it with Leonard's exhibition. Definitely. You're going from stylized, idealized depictions of rural America to a hypercritical, hyper-aware investigation of images from New York City. Yeah, one could argue the humor in Wood's work is rather subtle, but if you want subtle, Leonard will show you subtle. I mean, she's literally exploring difference through sameness, whether it's with books, photographs, suitcases, or postcards. First, though, in case you don't think you know who Zoe Leonard is, we're here to remind you that you, in fact, do. Remember the I Want a President text that stood tall along the High Line? That was Zoe Leonard. This show called Survey unironically provides a survey of Leonard's work while also asking us to consider the other meaning of survey, to look at a site 
or place to examine it and consider it from multiple viewpoints or at multiple times in order to gather a fuller understanding of it. Pay attention to the repetition of objects. There's a suitcase for every year of her life, hundreds of pictures of Niagara Falls. Thousands, maybe. It's through the the repetition of objects that she draws attention to variation and difference. Again, subtlety is the name of the game here. And it's political. There's a real lesbian punk vibe to this, despite the fact that, in many ways, that political agenda is not directly on view. Right. In fact, there's actually a lot of formalism. There's quite a bit of photography, and Leonard uses varied printing techniques for these different series. They have meaningful nuances in color. Read the wall labels. See what's actually going on in these works. This is huge. We haven't had a conversation about wall labels in a little while. I'd say they're crucial here. I don't care how smart you think you are. You will not understand these works without reading the wall text. I would argue that's true for both shows, unless you have a strong command of design tropes in 1930s Sioux Falls. (laughs) Also fair. I also just want to (gasps) tee up this one last idea for everyone headed to the Whitney. Think about these shows in relation to one another. The Whitney Museum of Art is a place for both Grant Wood and Zoe Leonard. It's actually incredible that these two shows are happening at the same time on the same floor. Yeah, it definitely makes you think about what it means to be a museum dedicated to American art and what kind of responsibilities that brings. Like, which America? And what New York? Which nicely brings us to this week's guest, Emma Enderby. All of us New Yorkers have been watching Hudson Yards go up over the past few years, that massive development in the 30s all the way west. Some people are excited about Thomas Heatherwick's Stairway to Nowhere. Other people are less excited about the Hong Kong on Hudson shopping opportunities. But literally everyone is excited about the shed. From the building to the programming opportunities, there is a lot to share. So let's welcome Emma. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So we want to talk a little bit about The Shed, which has been under construction for quite some time and is still under construction. It is, yes. But there is programming already announced for May. Yes, yeah, there is. And for our opening season as well. But yeah, it's it's still under construction. Uh, The building should be finished towards the end of the year. And then we open to the public in spring 2019. But in May, The Shed is launching a prelude to The Shed, which is a two-week program, which is, it's not actually at The Shed, it's at a an, a sort of abandoned lot right adjacent next to The Shed. Um, and an architect, Kinley, is building sort of a temporary structure pavilion that is movable, kind of reflecting the nature of, of The Shed's building. And then Tino Segal, among others, have sort of choreographed an arc of events in the day which in, which is includes like a school by Asad Raza there'll be performances in the evening with Arka Azelia Banks Abra um, there are amazing program of talks as well scheduled some relating to the Shed's program some just much sort of wider all around ideas such as like gathering and ritual and then the Tino Segal this variation is also going to be um, installed there and that's the first time this piece will actually have been shown in the US as well and it's all for free as well yes which is really Amazing. exciting so everyone should come yeah I mean so it's, you all have no excuse yes not to go for the show yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's the first two weeks of May so everyone come and experience a prelude to the shed and it's really you know it's it's there 
to kind of show how the shed is going to work and that we're going to be working across art forms. But it's also just an opportunity for us at the shed to also like work together and see what it is to come together and put put on put on this sort of productions. And the ultimate idea behind the shed is that it will be multidisciplinary. Exactly. So it is a space, it is an institution that will commission new work from everything from theater to visual arts, um, concerts, music. It'll be a space that will house all of these art forms, which there isn't really one like it that we can sort of think of at the moment. And it is going to be the cultural anchor of Hudson Yards. So it is, you know, the shed is positioned right above the High Line on 30th between 11th and 10th, adjacent to the Hudson Yards development. But we are on city-owned land. The city gave $75 to the shed under the Bloomberg administration. And so we're, you know, there is a great civic responsibility as well. So a lot of our programming, we hope, will reflect what it is to be in New York, be a place for New York artists, as well as sort of a broader public as well. And are you guys planning mostly to commission all of the work specifically for the space? Or will you also take touring exhibitions and shows? No, so it is a commissioning house. So we hope that really, most of the work that we show will all be commissioned by the shed, and then we'll take it out afterwards and tour it globally. And you guys are in a fantastic building or will be rather in a fantastic building that's being designed by Diller Scafidio and Renfro yes yes and according to some of the drawings and the architectural plans it will actually be quite dynamic as a building yes yeah so they designed it kind of with Cedric Price's fun palace as kind of a major inspiration where there's a space where everything can kind of happen at one time everything is shifting the architecture shifts to help the program and so that is what the building does you know you can open up gallery one of the first galleries gallery one so you go right out onto the plaza you can add seating into gallery two you can change the theater to be any configuration the whole sort of shed itself um or the mccourt which is the sort of main iconic space actually is on wheels and moves over the top of the what we're terming the fixed building to reveal an outside plaza as well. So it's a very dynamic space. And as a curator, it's extremely exciting to think about how to use that and, and sort of dream within that with the artists that we're working with. Yeah, people made such a big deal out of the Whitney having a column-free fifth floor that they had something like 18,000 square feet Mm -hmm. without any sort of limitations that anything could be sort of removed or added as a curator sort of wanted at any given moment. And you guys not only have 18,000 square feet, but have an entire building that sort of acts in the same way. Yes, exactly. And we have two gallery spaces that are 13,000 square feet. Both of them are columnless free, as is our theater, which is the same size. And then this great sort of iconic hall space where we'll have really large scale productions So yeah, it's a really, it's going to take us even a while to learn about how the building can change and what we can do within it. So that's going to be an exciting moment for us to finally get in there and start pressing all the buttons. Yeah, and with a (laughs) tremendous learning curve, I'm sure, associated with it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we will get started with the even eight. Um, And the first question we have for you is, what is the most underrated show, whether it be an exhibition or a performance or installation or cultural event happening in New York right now? Sure. So underrated is a hard hard word, but I think that there's... um, Don't worry, it'll get harder. (laughs) (laughs) There's... You know, there's a few things I think that um, I've seen recently where I kind of have been encouraging people to go. One is the Gordon Matter Clark at the Bronx Museum. Um, 
it's a great show that kind of sort of really highlights his political and social in- engagements in in New York City. Great sort of collection of works, and also it shows showcases the pier, shows the pier and images of the pier that he worked on down by the Whitney, which um, I was just reading that David Hammonds is going to be reimagining somehow as a public artwork. So that was intriguing to see to images and watch videos in relation to the, to that work. And there's another, I went to see the Peter Hujar exhibition at the Morgan Library, which I know that a lot of people are talking about that show, so perhaps not underrated. But while I was there, I stumbled across the this. The Tennessee Williams? Oh, the Tennessee, <laughs> no, no. I was going to talk about the medieval oh, oh, time yeah, yeah. exhibition. I love illuminated manuscripts. Like I, <laughs> and, but also it's like amazing to think about you know, how like a Western medieval society, which we all, you know, came from, understood time and charted like the calendar. There was no like calendar. There was no like one to 30 days. They had multiple calendars. One of them was set around feast. So you always knew where you were in accordance to like the next feast, which I think I is like a, that. I know. And there was like 250 <laughs> feasts. I can relate to that. Yeah, which they all remembered. So there was, these, and so you knew where you were in relation to that. And yeah, it's a beautiful show. It's all from their collection as well. So it's really, everyone should see, every contemporary artist thinking about time should see this show. And on the flip side, what do you think is the most overrated show happening right now? Oh. I told you it'd get harder. Am I allowed to? <laughs> Okay, so the reason I'm going to say this is, I, I will explain, but I will say, for me, it's the David Bowie at the Brooklyn Museum. Now, I think that, you know, obviously it's very, I saw it in London years ago mm-hmm. when it was at the V&A, and it's, I felt the same then, that it's it's super hard to make an exhibition about, I mean, it's David Bowie, it's like he's a gazumkenwerk in of and of himself, you know, so, but I will say that I was more thinking about it really so at The Shed, we're talking like a lot about how do we, it's a 21st century institution, mm-hmm. you know, the institution hasn't been built to the scale in like 50 years, you know, so obviously technology is going to play such an important role within the institution as it should. Um, but the conversations we've been having at The Shed are, well, how do you do that and make it meaningful? How is it about sort of connecting? How do you like enhance the experience of seeing something collectively together? And, you know, what I was thinking about that when I was walking through that very show and you all have kind of your own headset and you're kind of isolated and you go on this journey very much alone and I kind of just felt that that was very a sort of very different to the way that I experienced Bowie and how I think about how we want to incorporate like technology into the shed so and the V&A has been you know quite consistent in this their revolution show about music in the 60s very much followed this where you put on headphones and it those songs were activated by certain spaces you were in and so it was quite personal the vna does this it's very much how it perceives its music exhibitions as sort of a very personal journey rather than a collective experience which is not what it is to see a concert you know something (laughs) it is like you go yeah it's arguably not what it is to see a concert or an exhibition yeah exactly so i think that that's it was interesting thinking about that into in relation to thinking how are we going to use technology within the shed And the most exciting recent development in New York, putting aside the forthcoming Shed project. I was going to say, that one really sets itself up. The Shed? (laughs) Honestly, I would say the Shed. So I think that's I think that's a totally fair fair answer. I w- well, I will say the the performance space New York reopening is has been great, and I, oh, that's Kathy the Kathy Aker series they have on at the moment. I'm looking forward to seeing lots of that. So, and what's the most important book you've read or film you've watched Ooh. recently? 
Well, obviously. Speaking of isolating experiences. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, Phantom Fred. Oh, my God. Okay. Amazing. Talk to me about what you loved about this movie. (laughs) Okay. I will. This this wasn't going to be my answer, but I will (laughs) tell you why I love this film. Please do. You didn't love this film? I have mixed feelings, but I realize I'm the only one. Yeah. So I think it was just. It was just pure surprise for me. Like you, I, I began and I was like, okay, this is like everything's exquisite. The acting is, you know, amazing. Of course, Daniel Day Lewis, the fabrics, the design, it's beautifully shot. And then just this turn that it takes when it just dips into this like crazy macabre. I don't want to spoil the film, so I'm not going to get. But it just and suddenly throws the dynamic of both of their personalities into such this kind of new light that I hadn't considered when the movie began. And it just it just unraveled in this like beautiful way for me. I found the juxtaposition of this gorgeous wallpaper and these mm. very fine interiors to this hideous clothing incredibly <laughs> hard to sort of visually manage. And I just sort of watched every dress come out thinking it can't get uglier than that. And then it did. And I <laughs> recognized that that was part yeah. of what the movie was about. But yeah. at the same time, I um, I couldn't believe that they hadn't sort of investigated someone's archive or thought about it in a slightly different way. And he's so beautifully dressed in the entire film. Yes. Yeah. And the juxtaposition of how beautifully dressed he is mm-hmm. compared to these sort of heinous color choices and fabric choices mm-hmm. that are just sort of jarring was sort of this odd combination for me mm-hmm. that I kind of couldn't get past but I recognize I'm the only one no, no, no. <laughs> but I was I was actually going to say that after Ashley Lagan, you know I started like going through I read her so much as a, a child like a kid like a young adult and then I just picked up The Dispossessed again maybe like a few weeks ago and everyone should read it right now because it's there is some interesting you can make so many connections to this universe that she built and what's happening right now with these different planets, like one that's this kind of like psychotic tyranny, patriarchy, capitalist society versus complete anarchy. And to think that it's like woven into more of a vision of like utopia. Anyway, I think that people should reread Dispossessed if you haven't read it. Fantastic. I'm 100% going to order that because I did not read it growing up. Um, If you could be an expert on any subject, what would it be? Uh, Putting aside your, for everyone should know that Emma is currently trying to learn German. So that may be her number one answer. Yeah. (laughs) Ich lerne Deutsch. (laughs) Aber ich bin nicht so gut. Okay. um, You know, no, I have like a secret obsession with parasites. I've all, yeah, I know it's weird, but I read this book called Parasite Rex years ago and just have since. Secret obsession or secret paranoia? (laughs) (laughs) Um, They are amazing. They're like these weird, crazy, zombie, just, I mean, they're they're weird freaks of nature. Like, I'm going to give you one example of how amazing a parasite is. So, a parasite, it gets into a snail. So, a snail eats the parasite. And then it makes the snail feel, this is all in the book, Parasite Rex, and it makes the snail feel like really queasy. So it either throws it up or comes out the other end. Then that attracts an ant because they love like eating snail gunk, apparently. So the ant comes along and eats the snail gunk, which has the parasite in it. So it goes inside the ant. It makes the ant want to climb up things. Have you ever seen an ant at the top of a blade of grass? I mean, I've seen them. You both look at me like, no, never seen this. <laughs> no, I'm but just I've seen thinking. It. I'm just and like, then it when makes was it... the last time I was sitting in grass? Yes. <laughs> First of all. Um, 
ne- but yes. when you one day when you see this, you'll be like, it has a parasite in it. And then it's at the top of the top of the um, grass, and then a sheep comes along, oh, eats no. the grass, eats the ant. Parasite ends in its final final host. And there, then what does it do to the sheep? It just li- it doesn't. It just lives in the sheep until the sheep dies. Yeah, it's finding a better home for itself. Yeah. It's just oh, moving but it houses. But it doesn't harm the sheep? No. It, often parasites, they don't want to harm the host because they live off the host. They're upwardly mobile. Yeah. Quite they literally. They are, literally. <laughs> there is one that goes inside a fish's mouth, eats its tongue, but then replaces... See, the fish does not benefit no, from No, no, no. Wait, wait. It replaces its... So then it becomes the fish's tongue. So the oh. fish then uses the parasite... My God. ...to live with it, and then the parasite eats, lives in the fish. Yeah, I mean... Fascinating, no. It's... In your defense, yeah. it is fascinating. And I wish I knew more. I just read this one book, and it stuck with me. Parasite so. Rex? Parasite Rex. Where do you go to be alone in New York? <laughs> I almost said Paradise Rex. <laughs> That's a different book. Yes, exactly. That's when they're all on holiday. <laughs> and anarchy ensues. Um, I... It's a really difficult question because how do you, how does one be alone in New York? I once tried to go to the cloisters to be alone, which didn't work. But now what I do, if I'm you ever, and two hundred yeah, children, I know, <laughs> me and everyone else trying to be alone. Um, actually, the cinema in the middle of the day with a film that's just about just about to like leave the cinema. There's usually like one person in there, or it's just you, and then you have the whole cinema to yourself, which is a really lovely. You know, you can nap, you can walk around watch the film it's details details yeah <laughs> a little bit of popcorn yeah. <laughs> yeah um where do you take someone you're trying to impress this is so hard is it the construction site <laughs> yeah tour of the shed no, just kidding you know i i could answer that question in london or in bristol i uh, i think <laughs> i do have an answer but it's slightly embarrassing so i did this once <laughs> so uh I became, there was a moment where I got really into stained glass windows and there's this one uh, maker of stained glass called John Lafarge who kind of made these really almost like psychedelic stained glasses in the late 1800s. Anyway, he has several of his installations. There's like six or seven churches over New York that have his um, stained glass. So I made like a map and then took someone around, like showing them the different ones in Columbia at the university, and then ended with his grave, which is in Greenwood Cemetery. So that's I can not s- embarrassing. That's I can send really you both cool. the tour if you want. <laughs> I, I would have go. <laughs> I will go on this tour. They're really once beautiful it's a stained glass. That is the most <laughs> fantastic fourth date I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send it to you both, and then thank you. You can take people around. Can't wait. Um, we yeah. may have to share this with the Hidden Noise audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the last question for us is, what is on your radar for 2018? Things that you're excited about coming up in the year. Okay, so I am so excited that the Neapolitan HBO series is coming out in spring. Are you a Ferrante fan? I am a Ferrante fan. (laughs) Book covers aside. (laughs) Which are really tragic. Well, that's a whole different conversation. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait. I'm just so intrigued as to how they're going to, to like who they're casting. Yeah. How these characters, are, how that's going to develop. How they, yeah. Well, and how they're going to script it. How they're going to script because it. Because so much of it is in her Di- head. Yeah. And also the dialect. How is that? I'm intrigued. Like, are they going to, because so much of it is about language and like who's speaking dialect, who's mm-hmm. speaking Italian um, and that sort of signifier of status. So how is that going to be woven into like the H- HBO 
serious. Anyway, I'm very, I, I'm, I can't wait. Particularly given the fact that in the US, at least, we don't have such strong qualifications of accents. If yes. anything, if you were doing it with Brits, you could get something there. But Definitely. in the US, it doesn't quite work along such specific lines. It doesn't work with like, the. I guess not, because the South is just the Southern accent. It's like beautiful. And well, and also has its own range yeah. between Texan versus Southern versus deep Southern. You know, yeah. all of those are sort of its own thing as well. Mm-hmm. But we don't really have an equivalent. So it'll be interesting to see how it Boston. kind of works out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> really get deep and, yeah. and sort of Matt Damon about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely excited for the. I hope we won't be disappointed. Okay, so we're all going to watch the Ferrante series mm-hmm. and immediately buy tickets to everything that's happening at The Shed coming yes. up. Yeah. We very much look forward to visiting you on 30th Street. Great. And thank you so much for joining us thank this you. morning. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we want to encourage all of you to head straight to the Whitney this weekend and head right on up to the fifth floor for Zoe Leonard in Grantwood. And... While you're at it, head up to the 8th floor for a great Nick Mouse exhibition. Until then, don't forget to order Dispossessed on Amazon. And we look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. And, you know, read up on Parasites. I'm Rebecca Siegel. And I'm Abby Sandler. And this is Hidden Noise. 